0: It's really critical that workplaces and organizations are reminded that as Black people, we are not a monolith. This does not mean that we do not experience collective grief, but our experiences vary. There are so many different cultures within the Black community itself, so we can't all be painted with the same brush. Welcome to the Mind Your
1: Body Show, where you'll learn how to get your mind right so that your body will follow. I'm Trudy Stone, certified culinary nutritionist, author, and mind body coach. And several years ago, I self hacked my mind and my body to lose 30 pounds. Each week, not only will you learn nutrition and weight loss habits, you'll also learn how to address the destructive habits and negative self talk that lead to overeating and battles with your weight. The secret to losing weight and keeping it off is not only about what you put in your stomach, it's also about what's going on in your brain. So congratulations on showing up. I promise to support you on your journey with every single episode. Let's begin. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mind Your Body Show. I'm so grateful that you tuned in today. Today, we have another very special guest on the show. And I know I say that about every guest, but this guest is very close and near and dear to my heart. Joining us on the Mind Your Body Show today, we have Martine Lopez. Martine is a mental health social worker and assistant professor. She currently works in an inpatient mental health unit at a hospital in the Greater Toronto area, which is located in Canada. She teaches mental health and behavioral sciences in the Family Medicine Program at McMaster University. Martine started her career in London, England, where she completed her Master's of Science degree in social work and worked as a community mental health social worker for many years. She has over 17 years of experience in mental health and has recently expanded her social work practice through starting her own education and training business called The Renewal. The Renewal offers training and education to those interested in expanding their knowledge base related to mental health and wellness. Welcome to the show, Martine. Thank you. Thank you, Trudy. I'm so excited to have you here and in complete transparency, Martine is an old and dear friend of mine. Uh, Martine and I go back very, very far, I think to grade five, in fact. Yeah. Um, but Martine is, is a phenomenal person just in general. she's um, She just helps so many different people and you know, through her work as a social worker and doing a lot of mental health in the community, it was important for me to have somebody on the show that I felt could actually speak to what's going on specifically in the black community as well when it comes to mental health, because there is this huge stigma around mental health, but more specifically in the, you know, the black community. So I was so excited to have Martine on the show today to just, you know, help us work through some of the challenges that are facing the black community right now. And just, you know, just give you some answers to some of the questions that you might have when it comes to black mental health in Canada, in North America and beyond. So Martine, could you share a brief synopsis about your background and what it is that you're up
0: to in the world? So as you kind of said in your intro um, today, I am a full-time mental health social worker in an inpatient mental health unit in a hospital in the greater Toronto area. So the inpatient unit that I currently work on has about 20 beds, and we do treat individuals who have diagnosis of a mood and anxiety disorder. Our unit is very specific in terms of the treatment that we offer. I've been at that hospital for probably about eight years now. And so it is an acute care unit. And so it can be quite challenging, obviously, being the only social worker on the unit, but I am very passionate about what I do. Been in mental health uh, for 17 years, having worked in different countries, as well as different types of settings in the community, as well as in hospital settings. And I've recently, a couple of years ago, now work as an assistant professor at McMaster's University in the family medicine program. And so I'm basically teaching um, resident doctors, family physicians, uh, mental health and behavioral science, because at a primary care level, that is like crucial in terms of the knowledge base of family physicians to be able to support individuals who are going through mental health uh, crisis. Awesome.
1: So Martine, what is the stigma of mental health within the Black community? And, you know, I guess another question to that is, how does this hinder individuals from seeking treatment?
0: So the root of mental health stigma among Black people can really be traced back to slavery days. At that time, it was very common knowledge um, or is barely commonly thought that slaves were not sophisticated enough to develop depression, or anxiety, or any other mental health disorders. So from these historic misconceptions, we've learned to ignore mental illness or call it other terms like, oh, that person's just stressed out or, oh, they're just being, they're just a little bit too tired right now. These ideologies sadly have been passed on from generation to generation. And this has led to an underestimation of the effects and impact of mental health conditions on our community. It sadly strengthened the belief that mental health disorders are a personal weakness. Mm. And these factors have created a culture that is not only fearful, but uninformed about mental health. And this hinders individuals from seeking treatment. There are some other factors that also uh, come into play when we're talking about this stigma. I do find that there is a lack of cultural sensitivity by healthcare professionals. And Black people, they feel more marginalized and they tend to rely on their families or community and spiritual supports instead of seeking medical treatment for or their psychiatric or mental health. Um, difficulties, even when at times it is critically necessary.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I know I do, you know, you touched on that point about it being seen as a weakness and then not wanting to ask for help. And that's something that, you know, I've actually faced in my own personal life as well with certain challenges that I've had. I felt like, you know, I should be strong and I should be able to carry this and I shouldn't seek help. And I have seeked help. And it's really helped me to kind of work through a lot of the The thought process that I've had rather than trying to rely on my own understanding, you know, just tapping into a professional and just helping myself to actually work through some of those thoughts. So I'm so glad that you talked about that. Belly fat is a common struggle for people looking to lose weight, and it can also be harmful to your health. This type of fat is called visceral fat and is a major risk factor for heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and other serious conditions. It can be tough to lose but not impossible. Learn how you can burn belly fat and make it easier with my free guide, Seven Ways to Melt Your Muffin Top Fast, Backed by Science. You can find it over at TrudyEStone.com. I'll also drop a link in the show notes so you can grab it. So Martin, what about like workplaces and organizations? What can they do from a cultural perspective to better talk about and serve Black mental
0: health? So, it's really critical that workplaces and organizations are reminded that as Black people, we are not a monolith. This does not mean Mm. that we do not experience collective grief, but our experiences vary. There are so many different cultures within the Black community itself, so we can't all be painted with the same brush.
1: Mm.
0: When we're looking at strategies and tools that organizations should be considering, in terms of not only protecting, but standing with and supporting their Black employees, I have some some things that come to mind with that. So I would love to see a commitment from organizations to being anti-racist. And that means building a network, an internal network of individuals who will lead that effort within their departments and their divisions. I also think what would be helpful is that there would be a space, a safe space that would be created for employees to be able to have these types of difficult conversations about maybe experiences that they've gone through, maybe about system issues within their organizations that they see as discriminatory and if they are requesting counseling, I feel that organizations really need to make sure that their employee assistance programs have culturally aware therapists and training to work with Black clients. So this also includes working, a working understanding of racism with people of the same or of different races and an understanding of the effects of racial trauma because the black community has gone through trauma that no other community has experienced. And so we really need to create and develop a system that is, that is kind of widespread, that has widespread access to mental health resources. And like currently I feel that the system offers a very sort of linear approach. And this means that we're more than likely gonna encounter gaps whereby individuals are not supported in the ways that are truly specific to their own needs. So we really need to think of our system outside of a conventional law and develop more of a, what I like to call a holistic approach and create a holistic ecosystem that really provides extensions into those varied levels of mental health. Mm. Can you talk about those varied levels? Ideally, this would, would mean sort of resources and tools that may be sort of gender and culturally specific that would be available to target these specific needs.
1: Okay, got it.
0: So what do you
1: think it will take on a societal level to start shifting the stigma of mental health in the Black American community, Black Canadian community, because I know here, we're here in Canada, but just in Black you know, mental health on a whole?
0: I think breaking down the stigma within our community can be achieved in multiple ways. I think the first step really is awareness, right? I think that there's still a perpetuation of, of, of kind of misconceptions about mental health. And bringing that education and awareness to our community, I think, is a first step. So bringing awareness also to some stigmatizing language. Because we tend in our community to use languages like, and I'm sure um, if you are a person of color, you may have heard, oh, that person did mud or no sad, them not right in them heads, you know, and those types of terminology, Those are very stigmatizing language, right? And it further perpetuates and discourages individuals who have these types of difficulties from engaging and seeking treatment. So we really need to bring Mm. awareness to the use of that stigmatizing language. I also feel that education is key to bringing that awareness. So education can take Mm. place on a micro level as well as a macro level whether it be just educating our family members, having those conversations with our children, right? Having those conversations with our spouses about mental illness. Mm. And also colleagues within the workplace and sharing maybe some unique challenges that we have as a community in terms of of mental illness. I also think that we, we need to become more aware of our own attitudes and beliefs towards the Black community to really kind of reduce those implicit biases and those, those negative assumptions that we, that we often go to. So awareness and education, having those conversations, I think is key to the first step at least to addressing the stigma on a societal level.
1: Yeah, and I'm so glad that you talked about, you know, the awareness and the conversation piece. And I think a lot of people, they just don't feel comfortable talking about it. And again, it goes back to black people feeling weak when they talk about, you know, things that they might be going through and challenges that they might be facing, but only by having these conversations and bringing awareness to these issues, are we in a position to solve them? And like you said, it's so important that we have these conversations with our partners, our children. And I think, you know, having these conversations with our children is especially important because even when I look at myself and being raised by a West Indian mom, like I love my mom, but my mom, you know, doesn't really, you know, concern herself with like mental health. It's like, it's more of a West Indian thing, right? They don't, tend to seek help or seek psychotherapy when going through challenges. It's just, you've just got to be strong. You got to put your shoulders back and you, you kind of keep going. So I do think it is important for us to have these conversations with our kids and be more open about it as well. Because the world that we live in right now is very different than the world that we were raised in, you know, years and years ago, right? That children face a lot more pressures now these days than ever before, right? So, Martine, so how do you stay mentally healthy at a time like this, you know, during COVID, you know, Black Lives Matter, everything that's been going on with that?
0: It has been challenging, but I am an avid mindfulness practitioner. And so I do practice mindfulness on a daily basis. I engage in different types of mindfulness practice, whether it be mindfully eating, whether it be just kind of taking a moment to hold my space. I found that these practices have increased my self-awareness significantly. And that increase in self-awareness has really allowed me to have the capacity to know what I need and when I need it. So when I need a break from work, Mm. when I need to, you know, meditate or exercise, or when it is that I really need to to eat more healthily because I'm feeling kind of lethargic or, or not myself within my own health. Right. I do consider myself in a holistic perspective, similar as I do to my patients. Um, and so when I am sort of reflecting on self, I do often look at what is my mental needs right now? What are my physical needs right now? What are my emotional needs right now? My social needs and my spiritual needs. And so by looking at that, I have been doing some online learning to kind of continue to stimulate myself mentally. Hmm. Physically, I've been, I've taken up cycling. Um, I've been doing a lot of cycling, enjoying a lot of nature, which is also a spiritual connection for me. Mm -hmm. And emotionally, I have really been listening to a lot of uplifting music Mm -hmm. and trying to do a little bit of, you know, self-care, you know, now that the... The hairdressers are open back up. You know, I went and had my hair did. And, oh, you know, nice. Doing those self-care things, I think, really makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves and can be quite encouraging on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. Um, socially, I've been really trying to keep in contact with my friends, even though I haven't been seeing them face-to-face. Even you, Trudy, we haven't yes. seen each other in so long. <laughs> but we do talk regularly, you know, trying to keep up with our Zoom chats and connecting and connecting with family abroad as well. So just looking at myself in a holistic perspective, trying to meet all of my needs by at least doing one thing towards those needs, I feel that that has helped me to remain grounded throughout this. And it's been a great coping strategy for me.
1: Oh, I love all of those. I think the one I really like the most is connecting with nature, because I find that if I just spend some time in nature, like the... the the way that I'm able to rebound, the way that I'm able to recharge just by, you know, spending maybe even just like an hour like walking or something like that is just like it's huge. It's huge. And even yesterday my husband and I went to the beach for the day and just kind of hung out and I just felt so relaxed when I came home. I'm still feeling that way today. It's just the the effect that nature has on you, has on your stress levels. is just not to be underestimated. So folks, get out there, you know, get moving, get into nature. It's all going to help, right, with your mental health.
0: Absolutely. You know, nature is the one thing that has remained the same throughout this. Mm. And that's something that we can continue to engage in because there's so much uncertainty in our world today. But nature is still the same and it's something that hasn't changed. So it's something we can we can definitely thrive off of. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's so good.
1: Belly fat is a common struggle for people looking to lose weight, and it can also be harmful to your health. This type of fat is called visceral fat and is a major risk factor for heart disease, type 2 diabetes and other serious conditions. It can be tough to lose, but not impossible. Learn how you can burn belly fat and make it easier with my free guide, Seven Ways to Melt Your Muffin Top Fast, Backed by Science. You can find it over at TrudyEstone.com. I'll also drop a link in the show notes so you can grab it. So, Martine, what about, you know, the kids? Like, what are some ways that we can help our kids to be more mentally healthy right now?
0: So our children's lives have been basically turned upside down. You know, they all had to change to do online schooling. They're not allowed to go out as much. When they go out, they're now being required to wear masks. And so what I've been doing with my children specifically is helping them to see things differently because the world is different. So we have to think of it in a different way. We have to perceive it in a different way. And something that is a concept that is rooted in mindfulness is gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. And so something that I often do with my children is we do gratitude journals, right? We're looking at what are we grateful for today? What was the silver lining today, even though I didn't get to go outside or I didn't get to do the things that I normally do, but what has been your silver lining today? What has been something that's maybe surprised you today that you've been grateful for? So changing that perspective by kind of seeing the glass full rather than kind of half empty, I find really helps build that resilience to stress. Mm -hmm. Something that's also been quite helpful for my children is sticking to a routine. So though their routine is different now than it was pre-COVID, we all thrive off of routine, even adults as well, right? Right. Our bodies just function better when we're on a routine. That consistency is key to us maintaining our wellness. And so creating that routine for my children as well and having them be sort of leaders of that routine and creating their own routine helps Mm. them to really engage on a different level versus, oh, mom told me I have to do this today, right? Mm. Um, But, you know, I wanted to do this, and this is what I'm going to do today. Um, There's a lot more motivation to follow this schedule if they uh, take part in creating it. Right. Eating healthy as well, obviously, as a culinary nutritionist, you know (laughs) that, Trudy, eating healthy is (laughs) so important. So even though, you know, I get home from work, and I'm really tired, and I just want to order a pizza from them, you know, I kind of get them involved in, in, in cooking healthy meals because when we feed our minds healthy things, the output will be the same. Mm-hmm. And also setting and achieving small goals. So at the beginning of the week, I'm a bit of a planner, and so I do sit. Down with them and we try and plan out for the week as to what do we want to do this week? What are the goals that we want to reach? And they can be small goals like, you know what, I'm gonna clean out my closet this week and get rid of, you know, some winter clothes that doesn't fit me anymore. They can be very small goals, but motivation comes from actualization. So Mm -hmm. once you attain those small goals, the motivation to then set another goal and to try and complete something else is a lot better than, than not doing anything at all. Right. I also think what's been important for them is keeping them connected. So even though the connection has not been face to face, I've really tried to connect with you know some of my daughter's school friends so that she can still do Facetime chats with them. Um, trying to keep her connected to family, even though you know we're not seeing each other face to face. So keeping connected has been uh, really helpful for them. But one thing that I think is a preventative measure that as parents we can instill in our children is limiting the amount of news intake that mm-hmm. they have. Oh, it's so, so true. Children have been exposed to many things throughout COVID and through the waste, the race wars that we're currently in that they would never have had to have been exposed to if this had not happened. Right. And so I think as parents we really need to be mindful of that and mindful that what is my child going to do with this information that they've now been exposed to? Mm. How is it going to impact them? Is this going to be a healthy information? Is this going to further their education about a certain subject matter that maybe they're interested in? If it's not going to be helpful and you feel that it's going to increase their anxiety or maybe increase maybe negative thoughts, then we really need to limit that and make that the information that they have access to child-friendly.
1: Mm. Oh, I love that. Oh my God, there's so much there to unpack. <laughs> but I love when you talked about having a routine. And I think even for both kids and adults alike, right now with COVID and the pandemic, I, that was a, one of the, the big ahas that I had. I don't want to say early on, but maybe about midway through, because I just didn't have a routine and I wasn't working out. I wasn't, I was eating healthy, but I wasn't doing the best that I could full transparency, wasn't working out. And I said, you know what, Trudy, you need to get back into a routine because my routine, just like kids, you know, totally disrupted. So I started, you know, waking up a little bit earlier, started to get my mindset, you know, work in. And I usually do some mindset work, whether it's, you know, meditation or just some readings some personal development type book. Uh, And then I go into my working out and then I start working. I start actually, you know, working on my business. So I've started to get back into that routine. And I find that setting up that routine has been super, super helpful to keep me motivated as well. And I think, you know, when it comes to mental health, I think we need to do these things where, like you said, like you gave them a task for the week and now they're able to cross this task off. So now they have that sense of accomplishment that gives them that motivation and that momentum. And I think, you know, when it, when it's anything in life, when we want to increase our confidence and we want to feel better about ourselves, it comes with keeping our commitments to ourselves, no matter how small they are. And when you can continue to keep that commitment to yourself and keep you know, knocking back those wins as small as they are, it keeps, it keeps you moving forward, right? And that's huge for mental health. Huge.
0: For sure. I also think as parents, we need to think of our children holistically like we do ourselves. Mm. So if they have the same needs as us in the sense that they have mental needs, they have physical needs, they have emotional needs, they have social needs and spiritual needs. So right. as parents, we need to really think about, you know, how are we trying to meet those needs, especially during COVID, right? Right. I think a part of meeting their emotional needs also means creating a safe place for them to be able to express and share how they're feeling right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I often ask, I'm, I'm one of those parents who constantly questions their kids because uh, I want to know what they're thinking. I want to know what they're feeling. I want to know what they're experiencing to know how I can be a better mom to them to support them. right? And so creating that safe space, usually that safe space for us is during dinner because it's not as formal. And mm. so we're just chatting and they don't realize sometimes they're eating and I'm asking them all these questions and they're just answering. <laughs> um, and so, but creating that space for them so that they have, you're building their self-awareness by asking them those reflective questions, right? Mm-hmm. And that in itself is, is such an amazing tool that they're going to be able to carry not only through their childhood, but within their adult life that they can reflect on self, be able to identify what those needs are uh, with that increase in Mm self-awareness. Wow.
1: So Martine, this is something I ask all of my guests, and I think you kind of answered this already, but I'm going to ask you again. What is your favorite way to take care of your mind
0: and your body? So Trudy knows this, but I love soca music. Okay, I have to put that out there right now. I'm a huge soca lover. I think soca is life, okay? I agree. So for those of you who don't like soca, maybe you have another genre of music that you love. But I feel that listening to uplifting music really just puts me in the right mood. Even if I've woken up and I didn't get a good night's rest and I'm feeling a little bit lethargic and I got to go to work today and I know I'm going to have a challenging day ahead. If I put on a Marshall Montano song and that starts playing, it just puts me in the right mood and gives me a different perspective. And so music is a great tool of, um, in terms of therapy. And so I want to encourage you all to use it in a therapeutic way. Now, be cautious with it because music can also induce negative feelings depending on where you are. So we want to be looking at more uplifting music. I love music. I'm also a musician myself. I sing, and so throughout this whole COVID period, I've been trying to sing a little bit more. You know, I started playing the piano again, and just listening to um, listening to soka music really does help.
1: Awesome. So that so soka is your mind and your body. I'm I'm assuming because you're walking up.
0: <laughs> a, a, a deal, a real <laughs> for sure, dancing is so great as well. You know, like my kids, so they put on Just Dance all the time, and we do our little moves, and it's just it's great for your physical health as well as your emotional and mental health, for sure. I agree. So, Martine, where can people find you? So, you can check me out on LinkedIn. Um, that's my professional um, sort of a contact page. Uh, Martine Lopez is my name. But yes, as as Trudy introduced, I've also started my own business doing education and training. And so the name of the business is called The Renew Well. And the concept behind that is I think that we all have a well of knowledge. We just need to renew it. The answers are within. And so my role within that would be to guide you to find the answers within your well of knowledge. And so you can also email me at Martine at therenewal.com. I'm available through email as well as just check me out on LinkedIn.
1: Awesome. And I'll make sure to place all of your links and contact information in the show notes as well so people can check you out. Thank you. Martine, thank you so much for joining us on the Mind Your Body show. It was so great to have you here. So glad that you were able to give us some perspectives on you know, Black mental health, how we can have these conversations that we need to have with our children and some resiliency techniques to keep us moving forward. Thanks again, Martine.
0: Thank you so much, Trudy. Take care. You too.